Postfire allows you to find and invest in gold that fits your family's needs and a lot of your wants as well. And then it encourages you to go back to enjoying life. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three different things. First, we'll be discussing some three-day work week ideas for folks who are Coast Fire or ones that are considering the Coast Fire lifestyle. Second, we're back with our Coast Fire segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Lauren Boland from Virginia, who recently hit Coast Fire with $1.7 million invested. And we're going to discuss what her life looks like with her family after hitting Coast Fire. And last but not least, my son Calvin's going to join me for another good word. With all the not-so-great news out there, Calvin and I are going to celebrate some good news together. All right, let's jump into today's show. Each week, we get seven days to live our lives. Now, a lot of us work five days and take two of those days to relax, enjoy our hobbies, and spend time with the ones we love. Now, this begs the question, well, why don't we have more days for relaxation and fewer days for work? Well, the answer usually comes back to money. Most people can't afford to work fewer days each week. That's a luxury that's not available to the vast majority of people. Now, some people in our community have reached a level of family wealth called Coast Fire, and they do have the option to work fewer days if they choose to. As we've spoken about on this podcast in the past, Coast Fire is when you've invested enough in your retirement accounts that you're able to simply coast to retirement without any further contributions. When you're debt-free, you've got an emergency fund of three to six months, and you're Coast Fire, you have financial strength and you have financial options. I want to encourage people in that position to consider a three-day work week instead of a five-day work week. As our previous guest, Simone Stolzoff, stated so well, you exist on this planet to do more than just create economic value. I love that statement. You're not just a worker. You're a father. You're a mother, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a community leader, a volunteer, a teacher, maybe an athlete, a musician, a writer, a singer, and so much more. When we work the majority of our days and do these other roles just two of the days, we're limiting our life potential. I've heard too many stories of people at the end of their lives talking about working too much being the biggest regret they had. And for those not quite yet in that privileged position of wealth and time freedom to choose this option. I want to encourage you to pursue a debt-free Coast Fire life so that you have the option to work fewer hours each week in the near future. Now, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to budget. You're going to have to spend less than you earn. You're going to have to save and invest more than you have in the past, but I believe it's worth it. So, For the folks who are Coast Fire or are interested in a future Coast Fire lifestyle, I want to share four ideas to help you create your own three-day work week. Here we go. Number one, ask for a part-time schedule where you currently work. 
If you've been determined, focused, and successful enough to achieve debt freedom and coast fire, there's a good chance you're a probably a great employee. <laughs> Before you up and quit your job in a financial independence blaze of glory, use the rapport you've built up with your supervisor to have a candid chat about going part-time instead. Of course, this assumes you enjoy what you do, but you'd prefer to, and you can afford to, do less of it. Be prepared to discuss a decrease in your salary, as that may be a requirement as a fair exchange for fewer hours work each week. When I interviewed Angela Rosman from Tread Lightly Retire Early, she shared this about her experience when speaking with her employer about decreasing her hours worked each week. I think it was more the just talking about like what I wanted and like what I was hoping to do. I think there are more employers that might be open to that sort of thing if you can talk them through like, well, I can do all of these things at this amount of time, I just would have to give up X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, but I'm also willing to give up this significant chunk of my income to do it. Sure. Um, but as long as I could keep my core stuff, then we found ways to kind of shift it around. And as I've worked less for three and a half years now, I'm finding more and more people that have different schedules and hours than you would think. Like, a lot of people don't realize that I work with that I don't work full-time mm -hmm. because I'm in the office five days a week and I'm there when they see me so they don't really notice, especially people that don't work in my office. They, they, can't, they can't tell I'm not working full-time. Right. But then as you go get into conversations with people, even with, like, city staff, like government employees, private employees, like... Across the board, if you start paying attention and talking to people, like more and more, there are more flexible working agreements. And I think it's just not talked about. And the expectation is that everybody works full time, but a lot of people don't. Number two, seek part time work at another company with your skill set. Perhaps you're burnt out at your current company but you don't want to waste the skills and the network you've built perhaps over the past couple of decades. Well, it might be time to look for a new job in your industry or at least with your skill set. Use your current network and start having conversations with people about opportunities for part-time work. Although there may not be job listings officially set for part-time work, conversations and negotiations are always possible. While this is probably an easier sell at your current employer because they know your work ethic, you may find employers looking to hire part-time to save on costs. My wife recently was hired on as a part-time employee at a dermatologist's office. She was seeking part-time work and they were hiring for it. The arrangement required some conversation and negotiation, but these opportunities, they're out there. Here's Nicole in a recent conversation we had about why she enjoys her part-time schedule. I'm not sure I would be able to do all this on a Saturday. We'd be running to soccer or a birthday party for the kids or, you know, mm -hmm. grocery, trying to squeeze in the grocery shopping and laundry. And so it's, it's really nice. Like as I start to think about life being more about the journey and not the destination, it's really nice to have the day to day be a little more chill. Number three, become a part-time contract worker or freelancer with your skill set. This idea steps you away from the employee side of things and more towards self-employment. 
While leaving an employment situation and moving towards an entrepreneurial life is quite challenging, the rewards of this lifestyle design can be worth it. Essentially, you would be in charge of finding clients, making sure those clients paid you, and managing your own work schedule. This autonomy can be freeing and liberating for some and terrifying and scary for others. (laughs) Ever since I went down this path personally, I've realized that entrepreneurship requires a lot of discipline and systems that I wasn't used to as an employee. Over time, though, I found a good path and I'm very happy with my decision to leave my full-time employment for part-time entrepreneurship. While I'm yet to earn a salary comparable to what I used to have at my previous corporate job, I'm still very happy because I've gained a lot more of my time back. Eric Rosenberg, a freelance writer who earns well over $10,000 per month as of the time of the interview five years ago, he shared this about the flexibility that comes with freelance work. Because I was salaried, right? I wasn't hourly. So if I had finished everything big on my to-do list. And I knew the next day was going to start the new month and was going to be closed. And I'd be having 10, 12 hour days for the next two or three days. I couldn't take, you know, three hours, four hours early and and cut out early for the day. No, I still had to be there. But now if I finish a big project and I feel like I've earned taking my daughter for ice cream at three in the afternoon, I can do that. All right. Number four, start a small business. This one requires a bit more patience since around half of U.S. businesses fail within the first five years, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Let's say you've had enough of working as an employee and you've had enough of working in the industry you've been working in as well. You could start your own business based on a passion or an interest that you have. Now, You want to ensure your passion or interest can actually make money, though. I like looking at it through the lens of the Japanese term ikigai. I'm sure I'll butcher this term and the definition, but I recently heard about it on a Netflix series called Live to 100, The Secrets of the Blue Zones. I'm really enjoying it, by the way. Essentially, ikigai is your purpose for being. It's outlined well in PositivePsychology.com as the intersection point of you love it, the world needs it, you're paid for it, and you're great at it. If I had to think of someone that I've spoken to over the past seven years on this podcast who exemplifies this ikigai well, it would be Chad Carson. He built a real estate business and the systems to go with it that allowed him to drastically increase his time freedom. Here's Chad after just finishing 17 months in Ecuador with his family. It's not overnight. It was a process and it's a combination of number one people. I have, I have a really good, you know, I have a really good person back home who, and she started off as a bookkeeper. She grew into the role of sort of an administrator, property manager. And so for 60 of those properties, she is, she's the go-to person. And I still am involved in that. I still underwrite like the, when we have a tenant, she does all the work of getting all the applications and all the information. I make the ultimate decision, but I can do that through technology, computers, everything back in Ecuador. And I can, as an Ecuador, I still do that through online bill pay and through technology and really cool software. Um, So combination of a really good people on the ground, that, that person, also some contractors who are really, make a good part of our team. And then technology, 
allow you to do, you know, I, I typically spent, you know, some weeks were more, some weeks were less, but about an hour or two per week, usually on Thursdays, I would do my bill paying and kind of bookkeeping. And, but the rest of the week it was, oh, I might get a text here and there just kind of asking a question, but it really, when you get some people and some systems in place, you can be a relatively passive business. And that's fortunately where we got at that point for us. In the end, I see this Coast Fire three-day work week discussion as a pathway to a more intentional life. Not a life where you only feel accomplished when you've piled millions of dollars upon multi-millions of dollars. Because honestly, that type of life doesn't really ever have a destination. You can always make more money. You can always save more or invest more. That path is truly never-ending. Coast Fire allows you to find an investing goal that fits your family's needs and a lot of your wants as well. And then it encourages you to go back to enjoying life because life is for living. <laughs> if you're wondering where you are on your path to Coast Fire, we've developed a Coast Fire calculator for you to check out for free on our website at marriagekidsofmoney.com. That's marriagekidsofmoney.com. Just click calculators. It's a little tab on the top of the website, and you'll find that we've got a Coast Fire calculator on there that you can play around with. Well, enough for my side, everyone. I want to hear from you. What do you think about creating a three-day work week and a permanent four-day weekend? Are you considering Coast Fire as a path for your family? Please let me know by sharing this episode on social media and tagging me at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn. Let's keep this conversation going, everybody. Investing for retirement takes time, patience, and consistency. Eventually, you'll reach a point where you don't need to contribute any more money to hit your retirement goals, and that's what we call Coast Fire. On our Coast Fire segment today, we're going to interview Lauren Boland from the D.C. area. Lauren and her wife, Elizabeth, have recently hit this Coast Fire milestone in their early 40s. Today, we're going to learn how they accomplished this family financial goal and how this affects their journey going forward. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Andy. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, you and I had a chance to meet at a conference recently, and I was excited to talk Coast Fire with you and all things fire. So let's do it together here. Let's start with the Coast Fire Five. These are quick, short answers that help people understand how you achieved Coast Fire and what that means for you. So let's start with number one. How much do you have invested for retirement today? Sure. We have about $1.7 million in investments and we have a pretty sizable chunk of home equity too. But, you know, depending on who you are, you count that or not. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about your age then. How old are you and your spouse? We're both turning 42 this year. At this very moment, I'm 41. Awesome. That's my age too. So we're dancing, <laughs> dancing the same dance here. And then number three, based on your Coast Fire calculations, how much will you have in retirement if you don't contribute anything else? Yeah. So if we go all the way to age 65, which is, you know, pretty traditional retirement age, my calculations show that we'll probably have around $6 million in investments. How much income will this potentially provide you in retirement based on your calculations? Oh, yeah. Based on my calculations, including some you know, Social Security and pensions that we have, it's probably like an income of $280,000 a year, which is very much higher than what I'm used to. Well, let's get to that question then. How much income does it take for you to live comfortably today? 
Yeah, so we live in DC area, which is a pretty high cost of living area. We spend around one hundred and ten or one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to live a comfortable life. Less than half of what you'd project to have in the future. So, with that realization and looking at these numbers and getting an understanding, let's talk about that epiphany. Does that make you feel differently about your investing journey going forward, knowing how much you've invested? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, frankly, we, we met at this conference and <laughs> I may have had the epiphany there. I've been, or we've been plugging along, saving for our entire careers, putting away 30, 40% of our income into investments. And I have always looked at fire as like an ultimate goal, but I've always looked at it as this finite moment in time that you just push for and kind of realize that that's not how it has to be. And you can slow things down and change your life as you get closer. That's very interesting. Well, let's talk about the beginning of your journey now that we have the full story of your current situation. When did you start investing? And then how did you get that fire? How did you get that original interest in growing this amount at 40, 41, 42 years old? Yeah, I always like to talk about this because like visibility of these things is super important. So I was fairly early on in my career. In fact, it was before my career started that I had heard about FIRE. The word, the term FIRE didn't really exist back in 2003 or so when I graduated college. But when I grew up, I did not grow up with a lot of money. And my family, frankly, is not that great with money. Um, Sorry, mom and dad, if you listen to this. (laughs) But when I first met my wife's parents, I met them at graduation of college, and I learned that they had just retired at age 51. And where I came from, you worked until you your body gave out, or you worked until you got a pension at 65, 70, whatever. So that really started the gears turning in my head, and we sort of have been living at least a lifestyle to save ever since then. You know, you could have the opposite story about meeting the in-laws where it's like, oh my God, they were, but they inspired you. It sounds it sounds like it was a, a really good result from, from getting married to Elizabeth. Let's talk about when you hit this Coast Fire, you sort of had this realization. Talk to us about what made up your portfolio of Coast Fire, what made up your portfolio of this investment level? Because when people hear, you know, 1.7 million they might be confused on what that is. That's not just cash, that's stocks. Where is that? And then what kind of vehicles are they in currently? So I've always been of the thought that I don't want to necessarily actively manage my portfolio and that I would rather put my efforts into shoveling money toward an easier investment. So the vast majority of our investments are in index funds. We have about 90% stock index funds, which include you know, a very, various domestic and international funds. Uh, the 10% is probably in bonds, and we, have some, we do have some cash. We keep about three months of expenses in cash around. The vast majority of this is pre-tax accounts, like 401ks and things like that, or Roth IRAs. We do have some money in sort of post-tax brokerage. But yeah, it's across a lot of different places. And we've been putting, again, 30 or 40% of our income into that up until recently. Got it. Now, you live in a very high cost of living city, by some projections, maybe one of the highest in our country. How do you, I guess, 
maintain with your family of four, how do you maintain the cost of living that you have? How do you maintain your living expenses? Are there things you do? Did you guys have to avoid lifestyle creep throughout the process? Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I love this topic and there's so much more to talk about outside of a short form podcast. (laughs) But I think it is hard living in a high cost of living area, especially when you're comparing to other people. I mean, sort of uh, comparison is the thief of joy. But when you're talking about fire, you're looking at examples out there of who's doing the thing you want to do. And you see folks living in the middle of the country or in much smaller cities and they're spending a quarter of what you're spending or something like that. And it's hard to do comparisons. And I grew up in a low cost of living area. So I feel like even though we're probably a much lower average spending per month in, to our peers, that it seems like a lot of money to, to me. I think over the years, we've really tried hard to not let lifestyle creep creep in. Like when we went from an apartment renting to buying a townhouse, for instance, we made sure that like, hey, if we make this jump, we'll still be able to save 20, 30% of our money. And similar thing happened when we moved to a single family home. You know, we waited till the down payment would equal enough to make sure that it would be still possible to save because we thought that that was like our safety cushion, right? You've hit this Coast Fire situation. You guys have a lot saved up between you and your wife. What changes are you considering making going forward that maybe you hadn't been doing over the past 15, 20 years in your career? So I think when I came to the realization that, hey, you don't have to necessarily push, push, push until you achieve this magical fire number that the math will sort of work out if you coast, it's sort of a lot of things clicked in my head, right? I was sort of unhappy with the job I had early in this year. And my wife had just got or just finished taking a leave of absence herself. So the opportunity came up for me to take some time off and sort of initiate the coasting, if you will. And I think when you realize you have this safety of money that a lot of things open up. You have a lot of more opportunities to do things with friends or business partners, make new businesses. And so, yeah, I'm sort of trying to take my life in a direction of entrepreneurship, looking to start sort of a software-based business and hope that it, you know, has has enough revenue to let me coast. I love that. So the epiphany or the realization taking a look at these numbers has given you a pause, the ability to, to take a break and think about what you want the next 20 years of your life to be before you utilize the funds for retirement. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much a numbers person and I'm always tracking my stuff. And, and the last few months that I haven't been working, I've still seen sort of the uptick of the net worth. And, you know, we're in an up market now, which I guess that makes sense. But it's <laughs> like, it's this comforting thing, right? Like you see you're not working, but your money is still working for you. The cliche. Well, knowing how you grew up and you're a parent now, how does this realization of Coast Fire affect how you raise your children? So we talk quite a bit with our kids about money and how interest works and things. And for reference, my kids are 11 and 7. And, you know, I think that they saw my wife go on her leave of absence and thought like, hey, this is sort of like a normal thing. Like, oh, parents will stop working for a while and, you know, relax or whatever. You know, it's probably a very privileged position. And I think we're trying to, you know, really educate them on why it's possible we did this and 
you know, how much effort was put in to make this our lifestyle. And I think they're, they're taking it in. They're taking it in. They, they really like the compound interest of Bank of Mom. So <laughs> I love it. And I think that, you know, I think for so long, at least maybe how I grew up is you work hard, you go to college, you know, you get results, you build up your, your money, then you retire and you move on. I think there are many new iterations that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about now in my life that I didn't originally think about as um, growing up. And I hope my kids are seeing that too, because those iterations, those changes where maybe I once thought that that was, uh, oh, a failure, you know, like, oh, they, they didn't stick with the same job for 40 years or whatever. Now I think of it as a win, really. It's like change, variety, and these types of things, relaxation, taking breaks. These are all now wins in my book where it's like, I hope my kids are seeing that being able to change, being able to have some variety, being able to give yourself some grace is is a good way to live, really. So kudos to you for showing us this example, Lauren, you and your wife and bringing this example to us. Let's talk to the person who's listening right now and they're saying, you know what? I am on my investing journey right now and I'm inspired by what Lauren's talking about, but I'm having difficulty releasing my foot from the gas. You know, just I think more is better and, and maxing out the contributions are going to help me in the long run. What would you say to that person? I think a pretty important thing to say is, you know, tomorrow is never guaranteed for one. I'm definitely a numbers person, as I said. And I think for me, I found comfort in trying to map out like, what would happen if I slowed down? What would happen if I took a break? What would happen if I took a break for two years or five years. And that's such a common theme of people, I think, that have done sort of coasting or coast fire of some sort. Some people I've talked to have said, hey, I was going to take this six-month sabbatical and I'm in year five of that six-month sabbatical. And so I think I would tell them to do whatever in their head is going to be comfortable to convince themselves, whether it's numbers, whether it's talking it through with a spouse, or just maybe writing out some sort of plan. And experimenting, you know? I mean, like, you can always go back to the grind of the big job too, right? Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. One key piece to the puzzle that I don't think I talk about enough lately on the show is when you think about a typical investor that is investing in the market, they maybe don't get the returns that somebody who's focusing on the numbers so much like you, Lauren, and that doubles down on index funds can get. Can you talk about the importance of index funds and being simple with your investing path that's going to make this possible? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of people look at stocks in general and try to think that there's got to be a system that is going to give them above average gains. And while there probably is, and some people have proven that, the average investor doesn't have the time or the resources or the knowledge to do that. And frankly, like I, again, put a lot more effort into shoveling money toward an index fund and with the understanding that index funds are going to go up and down. The market goes up and down. But my, fav- like my favorite quote is like, any given day, the market can, is 50% chance of going up or down. Any given month, it's like... Uh, 40% chance it's going to go down and 60% it's going to go up. But it's like every decade, it's like an 80% chance it's going to go up, 20% it's going down. Two decades, it's 100%, right? 100% chance that it will go up if you hold your money for two decades. So I think 
to me, investing, it just made me feel safer in my, in my head and less anxious if I just let it ride and build my life around that, right? Like don't, don't make it so you have to need those long-term investments. I love that. Lauren, thank you so much for being here today and sharing with us. Where can people connect with you and learn more about what's going on in your world? I'm on a variety of social media platforms. My main website is CFIRESIM, so the letter C, the acronym FIRE, and then SIM. It's a retirement calculator for those number folks out there. I go by the same Twitter handle, CFIRESIM, talk a lot about the upcoming projects for that website, and that's probably how you can get a hold of me. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, and thank you for being transparent with us as well. Thanks a lot, Andy. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do me a quick favor. Please share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag your friend Andy at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill, MKM on LinkedIn. To encourage you to share your favorite episode, we're giving away free books from past podcast guests to one random person who shares our episodes. So this quarter, as a reminder, we're giving away The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study on Happiness by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz, The Cafe on the Edge of the World by John Strzelecki, and Money Made Easy, How to Budget, Pay Off Debt, and Save Money by Allison Beggerly. And speaking of promoting positive work and sharing it widely, I found this good news story from thegoodnewsnetwork.com, and it's entitled, Starbucks Workers Raise Over $40,000 for Beloved Barista After Her Car Was Burglarized. And to help me read the article this time, I've got my son Calvin Hill here. Welcome back to the show, Calvin Hill. How's it going, buddy? Hello. Thank you so much for doing the good word with me. It means a lot to me. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's jump into the story. Recently, hordes of West Virginia college kids who couldn't afford a cup of coffee shelled out $5 to help a motherly Starbucks barista buy a new car. The Starbucks on the Marshall University campus in Huntington, West Virginia, was always like a small family with Karen Collingsworth, who is 65, at the head of the table. The decades-long supervisor at the famous coffee shop location loved what she did, as well as the teams of aspiring young students who made up her staff. I love coming into work knowing that she's going to be there. I talk to her about literally everything. Cassie Gray, a sophomore at Marshall who works at Starbucks with Collingsworth, told today, she's like my mom when I'm away from home and can't talk to my mom. Today covered the story of an unfortunate double whammy of bad luck that befell Collinsworth when her car, a 2004 Kia that always had some kind of problem, was burglarized. The first thief taking the catalytic converter and the second going in and stealing interior components. At this point, Gray and her teammates, who always knew Collingsworth had trouble with their car, decided that there had to be something they could do do to help. 
Discussing what they might be able to accomplish, the team decided that they might be able to fundraise some money for repairs since so many people around campus knew the 65-year-old barista and valued her. We all just kind of talked about it, and we floated around the idea of starting a fundraiser for her, Gray said. After work, when I got back to my dorm, I decided to just make it because I figured even if we couldn't raise that much money, any amount would help her. It was just kind of like a spur-of-the-moment thing. After the co-workers all shared it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platform called Yik Yak, Their most dreamed of outcome came true. As of September 15th, the fundraiser had amassed $40,000, headlined by a $5,000 donation from the president of Marshall University. Eventually, the total got so high that Collingsworth neighbor spilled the beans before the baristas could surprise her. Today writes that she is looking at new Subarus, all the while feeling the love and goodwill that decades of serving coffee with a smile has accumulated. Very good, buddy. All right. Well, that is a fun story. So $40,000 was raised to help their colleague, Karen, at work, and she was in need because somebody burglarized her car that really wasn't that great of a car in the first place, so she was kind of having trouble with it. What do you think of Karen's friends who did this? They're nice because they helped her get a new car from money, and they were nice. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do, uh, to use some of your money to help out a friend in need. Do you think it's important to give your friends some money or some attention or your time when they're in need? Yeah, because like if you have more money than them and more stuff than them, You can't just brag to them and make them feel bad. You can also make them feel good instead of bragging and wanting them to know that you have more money than them. Yeah, right. I mean, it's nice to have money uh, and built it up. But, you know, if it's just like, hey, look at all my money when they need some help, that's not really helpful, right? That's not good information for them. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like bragging and being like, I got all this money. And they're over there with their car that's broken down. Speaking of fun and cars and stuff like that, if you had enough money to buy whatever car you wanted, you had enough money to buy whatever car you wanted, and it doesn't matter, what kind of car would you get? Bugatti. A Bugatti? (laughs) What color? Blue. To respect EY Stream. Oh, yeah. Does he like Bugattis too? Or does he just no, like blue? No, he just likes blue. Oh, okay. So EY Stream, he's EY your... Stream, if you're watching this, you're the best YouTuber ever. <laughs> All right, a blue Bugatti. Okay, cool. And in the meantime, if we've got a little extra money, we can help our friends who uh, can't get to work because their car's broken down, huh? Yeah. All right, good deal, buddy. Well, why don't we start out by getting the shout out of the month now that we finished this awesome story? We're going to give away some of those awesome books we talked about at the top of the show for people who supported our family show and shared good news about us. So since the last good word, we received three social shout outs. So can you ask Google to pick a number between one and three? Hey, Google, pick a number between one and three. Here's a random number. Three. Okay, well, our third 
social shout out came in from the Savvy Ma'am on Instagram, who shared a graphic about how we paid off our mortgage. And then it was an episode that was specifically called The Psychological Benefits of a Paid Off Home. So she said this. Mary's Kids and Money is a good inspiration for your mortgage pay down journey. Yeah, it sure is. That's what we like to talk about here, paying off your mortgage. Do you remember when we paid off our mortgage, buddy? Or is that so long ago now? You were only, man, that was 2017. So you were only three years old. You probably don't remember that. I don't remember. You don't remember that. But, but we did some fun things. We made a pinata out of the mortgage papers and we hit it with a stick. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I remember we had that pinata and then we hit it with a stick. Yeah. Was there even anything in there? Yeah, we put some candy and money in there for you guys. So when you broke it, you got a bunch of candy and money. Remember that? Vaguely? Oh, yeah. That was a long time ago now. I mean, we put coins in there and then we put a bunch of candy in there. So when you guys broke it, it exploded, and then you enjoyed the benefits of a paid-off mortgage, too, because you got to have a bunch of candy. Yeah. And then we made the mortgage wall. Do you remember we made a wall of paper, and then you guys ran through it? Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember all of that. Oh, good. Well, the Savvy Mom, these are more psychological benefits. You could share these fun stories with your kids, right? So thank you for the shout-out. I'll be DMing you with my thanks and an offer of these books that we talked about from past podcast guests. Now, if you want to share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag us at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram or Facebook or at Andy Hill MKM on LinkedIn, you're going to have a chance for Calvin to pair up your good news with our good news that we're going to share, and then maybe you'll get a chance to win a free book from Mr. Calvin. Calvin, thank you so much for doing the good word with me once again. Mm-hmm. Should we go to bed? I mean, it's kind of late. Meh. Meh? Should we stay up late? Let's watch... I think you should leave. <laughs> the Netflix show? Yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's just a good example of how I'm not the best parent because that has a lot of swear words in it. And it's very inappropriate for children. But you like it, don't you? But we get to watch. <laughs> it's all good. You know, can't do the right thing every time, right? <laughs> all right. I love you, buddy. Okay. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin is going to end the show with a quote today from Tony Robbins. Lead a life of your own design on your own terms, not one that others or the environment have scripted for you. Calvin, thank you very much. Yes, everybody, you are the architect of your life and go get it. Carpe diem! Carpe diem.